Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. So whenever you're feeling it, Jim. I think I'm menopausal. Yeah, I think you're something. (laughs) (laughs) It's Jungle Jim Jerome coming at you with another episode of Inside Curling. I hope I'm not menopausal, you know. It might just be my fleece jacket, Kevin. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, this will be good. And I'm out of Ritalin, so this will be a hell of a show. Okay, this will be great. <laughs> Happy New Year, everybody. Merry Christmas. Uh, welcome to our weekly episode of Inside Curling. We do it each and every week. We appreciate you as we wrapped up the year last year, and uh, we launch out immediately on a new year. Joining us, as always, World Curling Hall of Famers, Kevin Martin, and, of course, the one and only Warren Hansen. No punchline there, Warren. Okay, this time I'm just just giving your names. Okay, and who are you? <laughs> I already did it. <laughs> oh, don't mess with me, Warren. I told you. Yeah, I'm I'm off my meds. You know, I'm forget. <laughs> uh, we'd like to fully recognize all our sponsors who've been with us for the long haul. Jackpot City, who brings you what is happening around the curling world. Cody Tractor, the sponsor of Hot Rock Topics, and Goldline, who brings you in the house. On the show today, speaking of in the house, we've got a special guest, Rene Sonneberg, who is part of Curling Canada's High Performance Staff. That's I want that title, High Performance. You're too high performance. Yeah, I'm too, okay. <laughs> What's happening around the curling world brought to you by Jackpot City. This past week, there was a mixed double super event held in Oakville. Next week in Lloydminster, starting on the 11th, a major men's event will be getting underway Thursday. It's known as the Aztec Safety Challenge, where there's going to be a hundred large fellas in prize money. That's a hundred grand. Certainly has attracted some of the best teams in the world. Uh, We're heading into the start of 2024. We're going to take a look at the current world ranking system for both men and women and mixed doubles. In addition to the team rankings, we'll also take a look at the current rankings by nation. Hot Rock Topics brought to you by Coyote. We're going to discuss a couple more emails. They've just been pouring in the last month. And what are you hearing? Ted Wyman, who we had on the show, uh, did a year-end interview with Brad Guju, uh, who had some interesting things to say. I'll say he did. Let's roll it out. Can you hear that? There's someone at the door, fellas, again. In the House is brought to you by Goldline. Goldline Curling's Impact Rooms. Maximize performance for carry, hold, and carve. Learn more at goldlinecurling.com. Our guest in the house, Randy Sonenberg, who is from Grand Prairie. I've been up there uh, and did represent Alberta at the Scotties on four different occasions between 1999 and 2014. But today she's part of Curling Canada's high performance staff, acting as a performance consultant and analytics. Hey, Renny, how are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. Likewise. I love this title, 
performance consultant and uh, analytics. Where, where are you at so far? How's it going? Congratulations on the gig. What's the performance consulting side doing right now? The performance consulting side has taken a little bit of a backseat in the last couple of years as I focus more on the analytics. Essentially, performance consultant means that I any of the national teams can request that I attend training, that I help them plan their seasons or you know, just offer general coaching high performance advice. Mm-hmm. And then the analytics side, which I spend most of my time on, is exactly that, diving into numbers in curling and, and seeing how I can help put Canada back on the top of the podium. So the analytics you're doing uh, is is just on a national level then, or or do, do other, you know, high performance teams uh, look to you to get assistance on analytics? Fairly new deal over the last couple of years. Yeah, it, it's relatively new in terms of how other sports have used analytics. Obviously, we've had shooting percentages and all of that for a long time. Um, We're taking it a step further with what I do. I work for the national team program. So essentially, the top teams, the funded teams have access to any and all information that I have um, in terms of scoreboard, shot data, and video analysis, that kind of thing. But I also work in my role with high performance in Canada in thinking about how can we filter this down um, to the younger ages and make it part of our long-term athlete development so it's not something brand new once they're at the top of their game, that it's been integrated throughout their um, development. Uh, so give me an idea of uh, what, what would be new in analytics. You, you know, you had mentioned some of the regular stuff is there. What would be something new analytically that teams are using? So one of, in terms of shot data, it's not just seeing, you know, I shot an 84% that game. It's, it's really breaking it down. And how do I compare to my peers? So for example, um, curling 84% at lead isn't actually very good. You need to be up in the nineties to compete with the world's best leads. And so then we're able to break that down and see maybe what areas need to uh, improve, what areas can be leveraged. Um, you know, where am I falling short of the 90%? How do I train that to get that to improve that? In terms of scoreboard, it, it really is looking at how am I performing in different stages of the game? So, you know, what's my actual win percentage after six ends tied with hammer? Um, and what should it be? What are we expecting it to be? What is the theor- theoretical win probability in that situation? And how do I compare? And then how do I compare with the best, best teams in the world? Totally interesting. Yeah, cool. Uh, I've got more for you, but I'll flip it over to Kevin. Yeah, well, thanks, Renee, for uh, for taking the time. Wow. You know, one thing I've enjoyed, so to let everybody know, that Renee and I go back lots of years, and we work together, actually, uh, at our academies in Edmonton. So so it's uh, I have a million directions to go with you, too, <laughs> as to what you're doing now. But one thing I appreciate is that you get to be, you're up top with us during the slams. So you and I get to talk a lot, which we haven't had a chance to for many years. So that's a treat. Okay. With the analytics, as you know, that was something that we dove into years ago, but obviously not to the degree that you have now. Would you say that your the analytics is a little bit more important on the defensive end or the offensive end? Offense meaning your team and how am I going to get better? Or defensively as to, their team as to when you're playing an international squad 
their weaknesses, potential weaknesses. Somebody like Alina Petz may not have many weaknesses. What do you think about that? I would say if I were to break 100% down into those two buckets, I would say probably I would focus 80% on our team and what we're doing, what we can do well, where what are some traps we fall into, what are some mistakes we make, versus 20% what the opponent does. Um, obviously, as you get you know, to the more elite level, to the very top teams in the game, you it does come down to one or two half shots a game. And so if you can pick on them a little bit, but you can't do that and, you know, put yourself in a position of weakness either. So to answer your question, I guess it would be, I think you need to think a little bit more on your side of things and what are your numbers. Um, But then as you approach the top teams, then you really need to find the one or two cracks that they have because the best teams don't have many. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, when we're talking uh, on, on air a couple of years ago, and you would have heard this, we talked about um, uh, Brad Guju, and uh, if the, it was really quite an outstanding glitch in, in his in his uh, analytics, if you will, is that uh, he would give up a lot of steals, uh, one down with hammer, and I, I don't know what the reason was, and you maybe you can maybe you can answer that if if he's still having that trouble. I do not know. That was a couple of years ago, but we talked about it on air. Maybe just because he pushed on the gas a little too much while he was one down, only one down with hammer. So you're not really losing by much, but a lot of steals were to occur. Is this kind of in your wheelhouse? Is that sort of what we're talking about here? That's exactly what we're talking about. I, I look at, you know, different scenarios and where teams may be underperforming. And then with the video that I've gathered from the slams and then from the Scotties and the Briar um, and then the worlds when they're, when team Canada is playing, it's really looking at, you know, what's going on there? I live in a place of curiosity. So the numbers are saying this, but is it like, what's happening? How can we take that? It's not just uh, well, here's your report card. You've got nothing to do about it now. It's, this is what the numbers are saying. Now let's investigate further, ask some questions, figure out how to get better. Is it a rock placement issue? Is it like you mentioned, you're pushing too hard. Um, You know, there was a women's team a while ago that, came to me and and when they got down from the halfway point in the game, they never won a single game. They were 0% wins. And so we were talking about it and the, the skip was like, well, I'm just too worried to push hard. And I said, yeah, but you're losing anyway. So, you know, you have to do something. So we came up with a plan of, of how to push harder, but not, you know, just make things worse. So I'm only playing one more end. And then they started winning a few games in that situation. But until you actually know what the data is saying, it's, it's hard to know where to exactly put most of your energy. Right. I know just one more question, then we'll let Warren. And I know Warren, Warren, I talked yesterday, and he's got a million things to talk to you about. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> no kidding. From, from my point of view, as, a, you know, as, a, as an old curler, now I haven't curled for a while, but um, you've only got a certain amount of time as a team um, to be able to, to train and that's on ice, off ice, whatever the case may be. So I suppose when you've got this much data, I know you're collecting a ton mm-hmm. of data right now. Um, I guess, how do you get that through to the front lines of the of the actual team on the ice in a reasonable amount of time so you don't get bogged down in analytics and not throw enough curling stones? Because at the end of the day, 
we really do need to shoot 95% to, to compete with the Bruce Mallets or the, or the Sylvana Terranzonis from a Canadian standpoint. How much time would these teams expect that analy- – or, or are you dealing with the teams much at all or mostly with the coach? How does it work? Right now, I'm, I would say I'm dealing a lot. It's pretty even right now. I can see the future of curling being that I would deal primarily with the coach and then they would, you know, take my th- – three or four or six pieces of information and then, you know, them knowing their team better than I ever would because I'm not in the daily training environment or in and out of every single game, then they would, you know, take that information and investigate it further and then come up with a plan. But right now I deal with teams and athletes and coaches about evenly. Um, And it really is about identifying the priorities. So, you know, let's say, shot A is quite weak, but I only throw, you know, six in an event and shot B is, you know, a little bit low, but I throw 50 in an event, probably better to spend more time on that 50, assuming that those are the swing shots of ends. And so, you know, there's a ton of information. You're right, Kevin, like I have so much data and I just keep stockpiling it because you just never know where the questions will take us. But it really is about whittling it down to the one or two things that they can focus on right away and then tabling the rest and then and and then just moving the yardsticks. I mean, it's not like I'm trying to take a team from 10th in the world to first in the world in six months. I'm really thinking ahead to Cortina in, in the Olympics in 2026 and then coming up with a plan for each team of how can we knock all these little dominoes over. Thanks, Renee. Uh, Warren, go ahead. I know you're itching. Itching, yes. (laughs) Thanks for joining us, Renee. So when you and I chatted, we talked about uh, how far back this whole thing goes. Actually, I became very intrigued with uh, analytics, picking up a book here a few months ago called Game of Edges and specifically talks about what baseball has done with data. And it's unbelievable, really. But you mentioned to me that Canadian Tire became involved with all this in 2017. And it's not just curling as part of this project. Do you want to elaborate on that a bit? Yeah. So with uh, curling being an Olympic sport and own the podium supplying some funding, um, Canadian Tire Financial Services has six analysts that uh, work in sport. And curling is one of those sports. Fortunately, we became one of those sports in 2017. And that's when I, you know, was the start of this road for me. Um, Essentially, I don't, I, I don't come up with the numbers, they help, I ask them questions and together we develop pictures. Because for an athlete to sit there and read a table of numbers and try to interpret it, you're, they're never going to do that. They, they have a million things to do, like train and get treatments. And, you know, some of them even have a job still. So they don't have time to, you know, analyze the data. That's my job. I create pictures with it so that an athlete can evaluate their performance simply by looking at a picture and seeing what's not up to par and what's okay. Um, essentially, these analysts have also come work with a lot of other sports. So we've been able to come up with some ideas in curling that I, I, I would have never thought of because I don't know speed skating and I don't know bobsleigh and, and just some of the ways they think about things. It's been a, a phenomenal partnership. And the fact that I don't have to go mine some of the numbers and, and know all the technical aspects of the creation of these, I can just come up with the ideas, ask the questions, interpret it, and then investigate has been 
um, a quite a powerful thing. And, and I think we're further along the road because of them, obviously, than uh, would have been if it was just Renee Sonnenberg, former math teacher, sitting at her computer typing things in a spreadsheet. Yes, uh, very interesting. So just to clarify, your focus is on the high performance team. So that's six men's teams, six women's teams, and six mixed doubles teams, which are the ones you're primarily working with. What about the players and coaches on those on those teams? Are they all totally receptive? Or what is the response to what you're doing? I would say it's a little bit of a mixed bag. Um, there's certain athletes and certain coaches that are all in, understand, um, you know, want more information. And there's some that are still just dipping their toes into the water. I think there's a, a little bit of fear there um, occasionally that it's going to throw them off. And as you know, the minute they start the season, we've got to hit the ground running, getting points so we can make sure we're in the slams and move up the ranks and keep our national team funding. So they're really focused on performing and anything that might, you know, make them go, oh, my gosh, it might create doubt. It isn't conducive to good performance. And so we, we do have to be careful when we present information like I can't. I can't wait till the Olympic team is decided and then throw all these analytics after them. I can only, you know, let's keep doing what we were doing just a little bit better. So I really do have to, to, you know, start a little bit small, but, but it's amazing how fast the teams, once they get into it, then it, it just snowballs and then you can get more and more information um, to them and, and more and more things to consider. And then hopefully the goal is to help their performance in the end. And then if you can do that, then the buy-in's there for sure. So with the Canadian champions in both men's and women's being declared only roughly two weeks and a bit more before this world championships, that must make it uh, a little challenging for you as well, I would think. Wouldn't more time be better? Um, Yes, obviously more time would be better. It's not the reality of the funding we face and, and, you know, our, our business model. But at the same time, I can't wait till then anyway. So really integrating analytics as we go, creating scouting reports for when they head to a slam so that they can start using some of those ideas and, and concepts in a slam in advance to see how it fits and sits with them. And that kind of thing is definitely a priority. And then too, one of my mandates really is to introduce analytics younger you know, what are some things that these junior coaches can be tracking and, and the language they can use so that once they become a national team, I'm not starting from scratch. So the other question, and you and I talked about this a bit, what are other nations doing with data right now? What do we know about what the other countries are into? You know, what I see is uh, a few of the teams are um, recording their games. I think that's definitely an important aspect of performance. That video is definitely underutilized in curling. You know, being on some benches, watching the other coaches, you know, with a tablet or clicking, they're entering information. But to be totally honest, I don't really know what it is. Speaking with David about what they did in Scotland was they had a company that gathered some of the data for them and and enhance their training with it. So really, it, it was really in a lot of innovation. And I can say that, you know, in the years that I've been doing this, I've headed down a lot of little rabbit holes and had to say, no, that's not a value, maybe later and come back. And, and then, you know, be, just because we don't have a, a system, it's it's pretty new, but it's definitely exciting. Very interesting stuff. So 
Before I flip it over here, there's one interesting thing we talked about yesterday that I want to bring up, which emphasizes the importance of data. And I think you said it's been shown that if a golfer can cut one half stroke from the round, they will earn 73% more money than they do currently, which is how important data can be. Is that a correct statement? Yeah, it, it absolutely is. And and I mean, if you think about it, if a golfer's making $100,000 on tour, 73% more is 73,000 more. Now they can hire, you know, the nutritionist, the physical therapist, the sports psych, they can take someone traveling with them, maybe that the support that they didn't have. And then it's up to them to find that half a stroke. So, you know, is it approaches to the green? Is it off the tee? Is it putts? You know, where do they find that half a stroke? And that's where analytics is most exciting to me. I see the gap and now I got to go find out what's the cause of it and, and use the video as context to it's like a puzzle and figure out, OK, what do we do now? Renee, what about analyzing other teams who Canada competes against? You know, Retornez has done so well. Is there something there where you go, look at you guys, they have way more success when you guys force them to throw an intern or an outturn or whatever. I would think that might be very helpful to a team uh, saying, here's what you're up against when you compete against this squad. Yes. So what's so exciting about curling right now is the, the level of play is phenomenal we're not talking about let's throw a guard, a tight guard. We're talking about, you know, maybe against a specific team, it's better to have a guard that's slightly off center because they're so good at running them up the middle. So maybe now we need to just over curl it six inches so that it's a little bit out of their comfort zone so that we might get that half a miss. So definitely there's, there's certain setups that work better against certain teams. Um, We can anticipate, you know, maybe a play that they use often to start games. So, for example, there's one international women's team that if you let them blank the first end, their win percentage goes up 20%. Right. So how do you go about forcing them? So now we're looking at times when they've been forced in the first end and what's the plays that that take that there because it's in our best interest to try to force them. For sure, this is playing a role as we study international teams. Hopefully it, it'll pay dividends as teams become more comfortable with that style of play, not just thinking, how do I curl my best, but how do I make them uncomfortable? Good one, for sure. Well, I'd like to add to that maybe a little bit, because right now you bring up a, a good point, Jim, in that, did you hear that? You bring up a good point, Again? Jim. Yeah. Okay. About <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Retornas and uh, Mujaner his ability to carve the intern tap of, of, uh, of Joel's. Um, whereas Sebastiano, very strong also, but cannot carve his outturn as much. Is there a difference uh, analytically, be, or have you looked at that, Renee, um, if you leave return as an outturn tap versus an intern tap and the odds of him having trouble making it? Because his intern right now, he, all, he did miss one. In the final against White, he overthrew it. So Majaner couldn't couldn't uh, couldn't carve it enough, and they end up stealing a point uh, against Ross White. But generally speaking, that intern tap is a is a, it's just it's a gimme for for Retornaz. Whereas the outturn, they make it most of the time, but I don't think it's as, as quite as sharp. But I guess that's straight to your analytics. It's that's exactly right, Kevin. And and I think sometimes when I provide teams with a scouting report, I I have to almost put a little disclaimer in there. As an example, try to force Joel into his outturn tap. 
Um, it doesn't mean he's going to miss every single one, but you might get that critical half shot at a key moment, right? These are phenomenal athletes and we are just looking for part mistakes. It's not like they're going to all of a sudden miss every outturn draw, right? But at the level of winning a gold medal, you really do have to seek for that little half a mistake here or there that might give you an advantage. And then you need to make sure you can make your next one to the best of your ability to put them on their heels. So when it comes to Canadian teams, um, because you're dealing with them specifically, uh, out of your 18 teams, uh, a a ballpark percentage of how many are buying into this stuff so far? Now, I know I, I used to... I used to love this type of stuff back when I was playing, but curlers, as you know, are, can be a little stubborn now and again. Um, <laughs> do you have full buy-in of the 18 teams or what percentage of the teams are sort of mm, kind of on side with you on this? The percentage is not as that are fully bought in. is not as high as I want. It's getting there though. And really right now is if they're not buying in, I really look at what am I doing? That's not providing the value they need. I always flip it back to if they're not buying in, then obviously I'm not providing the value that they need to invest time here. And so then I become curious and ask more questions and try to find out what they are wondering about or seek harder for that one nugget that might make them go, holy, this is significant. And and now we can go. I do feel like some of the younger athletes are a little more open. The ones that are chasing are definitely more open because they're trying to find a way to beat the top. And the top are, they're there because they're good and, and um, sometimes don't really want to risk creating any doubt in their brains about what they're doing and how they're doing it. And so we, I, you do have to tread a little more carefully there. Excellent. Well, thank you. Renee, I have a question for you before you go. Yep. What are the chances of Canada winning a gold medal at the Olympics? I'll put you on this. Oh, good one. Come on. You're, 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 come on. You've got the title as analytics now. Oh. I, I need to know. If we were to play tomorrow, I, I wouldn't say they're in our favor. We still have some time to get there. We have some spectacular athletes. We have some amazing coaches and um, a strong high-performance team. And so we're doing everything in our power to work together to put Canada on top. And that is the ultimate goal. But we also have to remember that Gold is not a given for Canada as it may have been 20 years ago. It, you know, podium would be a huge accomplishment and, and we need to remember that and we need to strive for that. And then um, if we can take that, the one or the three teams, the, you know, the win, women, the men and the mixed doubles and get one gold out of them in, in Cortina, I think that's a huge success. Fantastic. And then before you go, uh, Kevin and Warren and I do picks when the Grand Slams are on. <laughs> We pick, we, you know, who's going to win and who's going to qualify. What are the chances of me beating them? <laughs> Why are you laughing? Well, some of your picks, though. <laughs> Jim's, Jim's got a very scientific approach. It's called eeny, meeny, miny, mo. <laughs> and I've won some. Okay. Uh, you know, it's lucky once in a while, Jim. Yeah, thank you. Okay, yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. You know what? The interview was going so well, right, until uh, <laughs> until I found out. Thank you so much for coming on. Congratulations uh, on uh, a great gig. You're with Curling Canada as the high performance and analytics consultant. And boy, that's a real deal for sure. So uh, good luck the rest of the season and uh, uh, go Canada, go. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. And I'm happy to come back anytime if you have more questions. <laughs> for sure we will. See you later, Renee. Renee, Thank not you. Renee, Renee. Sorry. Thanks, Renee. 
Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. There she goes, Renee Sonenberg doing the analytics. Of course, Kevin, and I have uh, good questions for her now that she's left. <laughs> <laughs> I, I should have asked her, but you probably know, Kevin. How, how do they do the analytics then? Uh, you know, she, she's is, is she do it herself with a laptop and a bunch of a bunch of different categories, or, or do they they got three, four people doing it? How does how does it work? Well, I think primarily she does it, yeah, and, and I, I think she alluded to that, saying that um, this is all in its infancy, and and they keep changing uh, the program. Actually, she she mentioned going down certain rabbit holes and went, mm, no, that doesn't work. Get out of that one. Go in another one, and and sort of a matter of uh, figuring it all out. It's kind of a newish thing to to the sport of curling. Certainly not new to all sports generally, but curling, definitely. And Renee's in charge. Yeah, it is. It's her baby to uh, to run with. And I know she works She works like crazy at the events, uh, getting enough information. They're taping, the all. I think, all the, for the most part, all the games. Yeah, so the key games. She's got key, that's yeah. one. Yeah, she's using video a lot. Uh, absolutely. Right, to go to, back. To be able to, to watch exactly what's going on, to be able to try to scout both your teams uh, weaknesses and strengths, but also the, all the other top teams around the world that you're going to have to compete with in world championships, grand slams and Olympic games, try to get on the podium. Can, can you imagine, uh, if, if you tried to do analytics in baseball, I don't, I don't know how, like, well, this is a big one. This is, there's a lot of information out there, but what they are doing, and it goes back to the money ball right. thing, what was that in how many years ago that all broke. But, uh, Correct me, somebody out there, if I'm wrong, but I think I read somewhere in, in baseball right now, in every major league game, there's a camera on every player for the entire game. So they've got a they've got video history of every player that they can right. analyze in whatever way they want. So it takes uh, it takes an army of people, amongst other things. But uh, it's going to become in all sport, I think, enormous uh, as we move forward. And it's whoever is going to be ahead of the ball in this thing, so to speak, uh, is going to be. Up, up on the rest. Well, can you imagine if you kept a camera on Ben Hebert the entire event? Yeah. <laughs> you'd, get, you'd get a lot. Yeah, you'd get, shut the mic yeah. off. Shut the, <laughs> here's a, here's about a you know there's about a ninety nine percent chance Ben's going to drop an f bomb by the time he reaches the hack. Uh, well, that's to the gambling side, Jeff. Yeah, yeah. Everybody can gamble. When when is Ben Hebert going to drop an f bomb? Yeah, 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 that's that's good. Uh, anyway, good stuff. We appreciate. Uh, Renee coming on this morning, and uh, let's watch for more of that, the analytics. What's happening around the curling world is brought to you by Jackpot City. Jackpot City, casino games perfectly made for you. We have scheduled three different things we're going to talk about, but Warren, there's been some breaking news. Hot off the wire, as they say. Yes, there has, Jim. Announcement out of Curling Canada this morning that they have named a new CEO for Curling Canada to... uh, to follow in the path of Catherine Henderson, it will be Nolan Thiessen, who currently is working for Curling Canada, has been since, I believe, 2017. And uh, the interesting announcement, I think it's kind of a first. I'm looking back over the last 40 years, 
It's the first time Curling Canada has hired a new CEO from within, which I think is another uh, step probably in the right direction. And it's the first time that there's been a person put in a position with a solid competitive curling background. Nolan, of course, is a three-time Briar champion, a world champion, and was on the competitive circuit for many years. So he's very familiar with that side of the game. And of course, he's been working with Curling Canada in varying roles over the last four years. So congratulations to Norland. He's got a big task ahead of him, but uh, an interesting move by Curling Canada. What's your thoughts, Kevin? Yeah, well, you know, I, well, first of all, congratulations to Nolan. Yeah, he's been, we've been friends for a long, long time and terrific curler on the ice, of course, and has been involved off the ice now for many years. So um, I think a good choice. Uh, but to your point, Warren, uh, from, from within, I think that's a, a good thing to make sure people understand that Nolan's been involved uh, with Curling Canada for quite some time now. It's got to be four, four or five years. Yep. So, uh, so yeah, good for him. Um, look forward to having Nolan on the show here in the next uh, month or so to hear kind of w- w- what's he thinking about, uh, you know, where, where's it going? Where's he going to take Curling Canada in the next, you know, over the next five, six, seven years? So it's, it's exciting times. He has a lot of work to do, though. I don't think it's, uh, it's all going to be straightforward for him. It's going to be a lot of hard work to... Uh, to just try to organize the game a little bit and decide, you know, how much emphasis should Curling Canada be putting on high performance and how much on the amateur route and how much uh, should the provincial associations. And that that's going to be a big part of his job, where, where it all sifts out. Yeah, those are the big ones. Uh, what role do these member associations play, and particularly the high performance and the sport? And, of course, I've mentioned it many times, it's been pretty muddled. Over the years, back in my day, it was all pretty easily rolled into one ball, but we didn't have the Olympics, we didn't have the Grand Slam, and we certainly didn't have analytics. And the fact that uh, we're into a different world now, and those top players are in a league of their own, and uh, I've stated it many times, I believe they should be in their own little compartment, but we'll see where that goes. Yeah, good luck to Nolan. As uh, Kevin said, uh, you got a lot. you got a lot on your plate. You know, when you get asked for that job right now, with with curling being in you know a positive negative flux, you you might be going, oh man, don't ask me, don't ask me, <laughs> I don't want, I don't want to do it right now, I don't want to do it right now. I think the other side is there's a huge opportunity here. I think taking a bunch of things in a different direction, starting to place more emphasis on stick curling, on triples, on really fun ways of playing the game different than what we've been doing for years and years. I think there's lots of challenges and. Are you going to go down that route? And then how much resistance are you going to meet, going to meet if you do? Mm-hmm. So uh, stuff to watch. Yeah, You know, you bring a good uh, point. We, we mentioned baseball, but analytics, but it wasn't just, you know, it was baseball and then and then fastball. And then someone came up with the idea about, how about slow pitch? How about we do that? I can't, I can't, I can't hit the fastball anymore. You know, and uh, it was brilliant, right? Brilliant. There's tons tons of people playing. From a recreation point of view, you've got to take a look through a different set of lenses. And and I think that's probably one of the challenges for curling because it hasn't done that. You know, the idea of uh, two club games a week or one, whatever the case may be, with four person, a lot of it goes that was the way it was done 50 years ago when you were always, from the start of the year, you're trying to build a team to play in the Briar Playdowns because everybody had a chance. Right. Right. But that's not the way it is anymore. Right now, you know, um, the stick curling worn. Yep. Stick curling, oh my goodness, the growth is incredible right now. And the amount of sticks are, that, are, that, that go are through our store. So many people are getting into it and it's a, they're having a lot of fun. And that's with two people or, or four people, whatever. 
And uh, it's just keeping them in the game and, and filling clubs uh, with people having fun in curling. And that's one real big growth area in curling right now is, is your stick curling group. Yeah, and I think the emphasis has to be put on that. It's not just for people who can't slide anymore. It, it should be for anybody and for, for people to just go out and rent a sheet of ice and have a fun night if they've never curled before. They can learn how to use a stick well enough in a very short period of time to, again, have fun. Versus if you're going to slide with a rock, that isn't easy. You just don't step on the ice and do it. Yeah. Think think pickleball, boys. When, when you know, tennis was the only option and someone came up with this brilliant idea going, how about a softer ball? You know, how about a short court? How about you can do it mixed? Yeah, you know, brilliant yep. idea. So as we all know, uh, Warren Hansen is a great critic. If you can get Warren to agree with you on something in curling, okay, that's that's a coup, right, Kevin? We know that. So, Nolan, you got a lofty endorsement, okay, from the Terminator, okay, Warren Hansen. <laughs> so, uh, I bet he was tuning in this morning, going, "Okay, if I can get, if I can pass the Hansen litmus test, I'm going to be fine." So, but how long will it last? How long will? It <laughs> <laughs> uh, Nolan, good luck, brother. Uh, uh, that's that's a big job and uh, a lofty. Uh, task ahead, but uh, we'll be watching for you. Okay, we got uh, other events we got to talk about. Uh, there was one in uh, Mixed Doubles Super Series took place this past weekend in Oakville. Uh, Warren, what happened there? What's the Super Series, by the way? Well, it's been put together by uh, a group of people, I believe, in Ontario, and it's a, a series of events that they've organized across Canada this year that involves the best mixed doubles teams in the world. So, it's a great idea. It's just getting rolling. I think uh, they probably could use a little more funding, but certainly it's happening. And this event in Oakville this last weekend didn't disappoint. It again had some of the best mixed doubles teams in the world in it. But down to the final four, I think interesting that uh, two of those teams in the final four were from Japan. And on the one side, it was a U.S. team of Thesi, Dropkin, Corey and Corey, who were facing Matsumura and Tanada, from Japan, who were ranked number four in the world in mixed doubles. And on the other side was another Japanese team, Koana and Aoki, who are ranked number 15 in the world. And they were playing against two people that are pretty familiar to us on the men's and women's side, Elena Patz and Sven Mikkel. In the final, it was an all-Japanese affair. Uh, the Koana aoki Tusum defeated the Matsumura uh, Tanada uh, Tusum by a score of 7-5, to five. so the Japanese team of Koana and Aoki were the winners. I thought uh, also to note uh, some of the best teams again in the world, but two of the best, the Walker Myers team from Canada, who are ranked number one in the world, and the Caldea Lil from Estonia, who are number two in the world, both went one and four, so they didn't do too well in the event. Maybe it was uh, too much Christmas celebration before they got there. I don't know. <laughs> I, I hope so. <laughs> uh, Kev, any thoughts on that? Well, no, the Super Series, you know, it's, it's great. I had a look at the mixed doubles, and uh, it's it's really interesting when you're in the middle of a four-year term as to how many of the top players around the world are playing mixed doubles or are sort of waiting to, to get more into it um, going forward towards the Olympic process. So it's really neat to, to, to see how many games, some are playing a ton of games mixed doubles, some are playing very few because they're concentrating on their four-person game and, and just don't have time 
to do the mixed doubles. So it's really, really interesting as we go forward for the rest of this year, but then also, of course, the entire next season and have a look at the amount of games that these top teams are playing. It's, 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 it's fascinating to me um, as mixed doubles grows. Um, and, but the four-person game is still sort of is where the money is. So that's why a lot of the top athletes, they, they concentrate more right now getting points to, you know, Renee, who we were talking to earlier, you know, that's all about getting the points so they can get to the Grand Slams um, and then build towards the Olympics and how much emphasis these athletes put on mixed doubles versus four-person curling. It's really interesting. Right. Uh, good segue when you brought up money. Uh, if you live in Lloydminster, uh, next week you're going to get to see eight of the top 10 men's teams in the world are going to be in an event there. Uh, starts on the 11th. It's called the Aztec Safety Challenge with a prize pool of 100000 uh, And 24 of some of the best teams in the world are competing there. Kev, what's is this a new event? Or It, it, it is a new event, yes. And uh, it's starting next week, so I thought we should probably talk about it a little bit this week. Um, but yes, eight of the top ten are there. Um, you've got Retornaz, Dunstone, Guju, Botcher, Cooey, Adin, uh, Schwaller and uh, and Mowat. Um, Ross White is not there, and uh, Ramsfell is not there to the top 10, but everybody else is. It's a triple knockout, which is, a lot of the players understand the triple knock is probably the most fair. On uh, television, of course, it's a little bit difficult because you never know who's going to win or who's going to lose and who's going to play next, but it is a triple knockout. The tickets in Lloydminster uh, sold out in less than six weeks, completely. So, yeah, fantastic! It's going to be a fantastic event. They're bringing in John Wall, a fantastic ice maker, to work with their Lloydminster ice making team. He's actually going to be there to help with the ice, yes, but also to coach and build their ice making team going forward. So this is a very progressive group um, with Jeff and Caitlin and uh, Mulligan and the Aztec Safety Challenge. I was presented by Wild Rose pump compression actually Jim too so they've got big uh help from Rod Wild uh Wild Rose who sponsored our team many years ago actually and uh so you know Rod's been a huge supporter of curling for many many years uh between our team and Cooey's team and he's always been uh, really close with with all of us and Benny Hebert and Team Botcher just you guys know are very involved in this event also in uh, in promoting it and making sure it's a it's going to be um, a winner event. So Team Botcher has been really uh, involved also. Um, I did talk to Caitlin, um, one of the people running it. They are looking at, at uh, maybe an, uh, putting in a women's section next year as well because of the popularity and how this thing has just went crazy. Bring in, maybe they're thinking 16 men, eight women um, to have teams. Rather, 16, 16, that's a lot of teams to try to get through in a certain amount of days. So so they've got thinking about that, but it, but it's terrific. On the Wednesday, so an our show usually comes out Wednesday or Thursday. That's why I thought we should talk about this. They have a junior clinic. They have an artist face-off on Wednesday. And they have a Future Stars mixed doubles game going on. It's all, What they're trying to build is almost like a festival, a curling festival right after the new year in Lloydminster. Like, you know, hats off to the to the whole group. And it's just going to be a heck of an event. And I can't wait to get down. I'm going to get down there on the weekend, next weekend to uh, check it out. Fantastic stuff. And uh, way to go, Lloydminster. You got to get, you You know, Kev, you, you took your hat off to that sponsor. Wild Rose is presenting. Yeah. Aztec Safety is the, is, is the naming. Yeah. Uh, 
company. Well, what I wanted to say was in, in a time and age when uh, these sponsors that have been you know, along for the ride, they've got every excuse in the world now to, to pull out eventually, you know, with social media and COVID and all that stuff. So uh, for that guy to stick with it, uh, it's, it's, you know, unusual actually, because so many sponsorships, look at the Briar, right? Well, uh, what Tim Hortons did. So way to go, Wild Rose. Uh, we did a little thing about 2023. We've reached the end of it and if you're just waking up from your New Year's Eve party, it's 2024. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, I bring that up for personal reasons. Uh, we've, <laughs> we've reached the end. Good time to look back at the current world rankings uh, to get some idea of what might be happening for the balance of the season. Warren, that sounds like it's right in your kitchen, that topic. Well, let's start with the women. We'll chat about that, and then we'll go to the men and mix doubles. So... Yes, we're going into the second half of the season, so it's a good time to review who's kind of in the top 10 positions around the world. So on the women's side, no surprise, the four-time world champion, Silvana Terenzoni, is number one. Behind her, Korea, Anji Gim. And then the Canadian team of Holman is in number three position. Jennifer Jones is in four. Anna Hasselberg, five. Carrie Anderson, six. Isabella Rana, seven. Unjing Kim, eight. Stefani Constantini, nine. And Satsuzuki Fushizawa, number 10. The interesting thing, we have three Canadian teams in the top 10 and two Swedish teams in the top 10. I think that's the first time probably to see two Swedish teams up in that top rung. So between two countries, you've got five of the 10 teams in the, in the top of the world. Kevin, what do you think of all that? Yeah, and and to uh, South Korea as well with uh, Gim and yes, to, uh, yes, and Jim from South Korea. Yes. So uh, yeah, what do I think about that? Well, you can see where the strength is uh, for one thing. Um, yeah, I, I one one uh, there's Fuji Fujisawa, of course, is in the top ten. But actually, uh, Japan has quite a lot of depth. So over the next year or two, we may see um, a little bit more teams from Japan getting into that top ten. Ha is also very strong. Yep. Um, out of uh, South Korea, um, probably get into that top 10. But there's only top 10, right? There's only room. So who moves out <laughs> while these others are moving in? You know, it's so strong. In women's curling, the strength of the of, uh, of your top, say, 15, 16, 17, you're, we only show the top 10, sure. But boy, there's a lot of strength in the next five, six, seven teams. So women's curling is in a great position worldwide right now as to who's going to win. Uh in a, at the Grand Slam level, at the world level, at the Olympic level? Who knows? It is such a tight, tight, tight race. Well, you you know, you bring up a good point. Uh, you know, it was less than two years ago when Carrie Anderson was like ripping it up on a heater and and now Rachel Holman, right? So you go, they must be, they must be one and two in the world. No, 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 not so much, man. Yeah, Holman's only third and Anderson's sixth, you know, so it keeps it in perspective. You look as well, you look at this top 10, uh, there's three teams that aren't in there. Tabitha Peterson, number 12. Rebecca Morris in Scotland, she's number 13. Um, and those two teams are going to give anybody a run for the money at any time. And then Caitlin Law is number 11. Right. So, right, don't forget about Caitlin. Exactly. Exactly. So it's uh, it's quite a traffic jam. Uh, okay, what about the lads, Warren? So on the men's side... Uh, I guess similar situation, certainly no surprise. Number one, Joel Ritanos uh, from Italy. Number two, Brendan Botcher, first Canadian team 
And then Yannick Swaller from Switzerland, number three. Scotland, Ross White, number four. Nick Adeen, Sweden, number five. Bruce Mowitz, Scotland, number six. Brad Gushu, wow, way down to number seven. Canada, Matt Dunstan moved up to number eight. Kevin Cooey is number nine. And Magnus Ramsfell from Norway is number 10. So again, if we take a look at that situation, Canada has four flags in there in the top 10. But Scotland has two. And besides those two, there's two others, as we're well aware. James Craig, not far behind. He's at 15. And uh, again, a real traffic jam as far as the, uh, the men are concerned as well. But Canada does have four teams there in the top 10. The men's is a little, maybe a little more top-heavy, I guess, in my opinion, of teams that could win. I think the women's is maybe a little a little bit deeper. But once again, to your point, uh, Scotland extremely strong along with Canada. I think that's sort of one thing you have to take away from, from this. You've got the four Canadian teams right near the top, and Scotland had four teams in the last Grand Slam, for goodness sakes, on the men's side. So those are your two countries that are really pouring the... Uh, the team's out and young, you know, you've got some young yeah. stars coming up in Canada too. And, and also Scotland. So, you know, when you look at that list, um, that's sort of something that jumps out, um, at me. Um, and of course, just the power of return as is uh, middle killer sweeping. Yeah. The, 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 yeah. You just can't ignore that. The, they're just overpowering uh, so good and so strong. So that's kind of the, uh, what I, what I bring into 2024, on the men's size, how who's going to knock Retornaz off? That that's the question. Like, are they just going to continue to be number one for a long time? So, what about this when it comes to World Championships? I wonder if we'll ever get there. But if I look at an event like bobsled, four man bob, I think uh, a country can have as many as three teams in the in the World Championship of ten or whatever it is that they do do actually play off with. So, a country can have more than one team. At, at a world championship. And I, I, I wonder if we'll ever get to the point where the world championship will be the top 10 ranks in the world. And maybe start off by each country could have as many as two in that running so that it, it is truly the best in the game. And of course, we're getting to the point now where it's not just Canada is dominating us anymore. We've got other countries that got two and three teams in that top 10 as well. Yeah. What do you think of that idea, Kevin? Oh, I certainly think that has to be the way it is eventually, uh, almost like a World Cup scenario yeah. where yep. you've got, you're not guaranteed because you're a country, your country's best, but you've got to be in the top X, maybe top 30, top 25 to even yep. have a chance to get in the world championship. Mm-hmm. Yep. You just, you just can't get in unless you're top 30. Right. Now, if you are top 30 and in Canada, for example, right now you get two teams max. Well, right now it would be Botcher and Guju. Okay, that's good. And then in for uh, for Scotland, you'd have White and Mowat. Like, that's good. And for uh, Switzerland, you'd have uh, Michael Bruner along with Yannick Schwaller. That's good. Uh, in the U.S. situation, of course, you'd have, uh, well, they've got three. <laughs> they've actually got three. So yep. the top two right now are Corey Dropkin and Daniel Casper. Schuster wouldn't get in, for goodness sakes, out of the U.S. right now. So that's that would be really an exciting uh, way to have an event. And you might, instead of having... 14 or 16 countries you may only have 10 but my goodness mm-hmm. the strength of the field would be incredible do you, yep. do you agree with the world rankings kevin well there has to be some work done i think uh, some events are getting uh, too many points uh, without the uh, good enough strength of field okay um yep. uh well world championship for one thing um it's, it's just not a good enough strength of field compared to a grand slam no. mm-hmm. so 
you know, there should be a way difference between those two events. Um, a world's being worth far less than a Grand Slam because of the strength of field, period. And, and nothing, I don't want to be, you know, say anything bad about anything. It's just, just have a look right. at where the rankings are. That's all. Right. Uh, Warren, they also rank the mixed doubles. Yeah, so let's take a look at that. I think we mentioned earlier in the show, Walker Myers are the number one team in the world, Canadian. Number two, Cal V and Little from Estonia. In the third spot, Pereira Rios of Switzerland. Number four, Matsumura and Tanada from Japan. Of course, they were at the top of the ladder in that event this last weekend. Number five position, another Canadian team, Martin and Laycock. Number six, Skaslian Nedregotten. And that's a team, again, that's done very well, I think, at the Olympics uh, last time out. Another Norwegian team right behind them in seventh spot, Ronning and Braden. Number eight, Swedish team, Westman Alberg. Number nine, another Canadian team, St. Georges Asselin. And in position number 10, another Canadian team, Jones and Lang. So in the mixed doubles at the moment, Canada has four teams, but Norway has two, which uh, seems to be a, a strength for the Norwegian country. Tough the way it is now. Tough to move up in the world rankings, but I wonder if it means any more money. Well, not not in mixed doubles yet, not really. Um, one one team that we're you know you can't really mention because they haven't played much, and that's the Corey and Corey uh, Corey Tisi and Corey Dropkin out of the U.S. Um, because they haven't played much mm-hmm. mixed doubles, but they're the world champs. They're the current world champions, but they haven't played enough to be in the top ten. But they certainly are. And don't don't forget about Majaner and uh, and Constantini. They're the gold medalists in mixed doubles, but they haven't played it much because they're busy with their four person teams. Right. But don't worry. When it comes to yep, the, the Olympics yeah. <laughs> in yeah. Italy, uh, they're they're going to be front and center. You can guarantee that. So that's kind of the, that's what I was sort of talking about with with mixed doubles is you know how much are these certain teams going to play mixed doubles versus their four person team because right now the money's still in four person curling. Yeah. Lazaner's uh, just busy stuffing cash uh, into his pockets. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. Next up, Hot Rock Topics brought to you by Coyote Tractor. If you have work to do, Coyote has the tractors, UTVs, ZTRs, and compact construction equipment to do it. Coyote, we dig dirt. Uh, so as mentioned, we're going to take a look at some emails. We get a number of emails uh, every every week. So here's one today. Dear Kevin, dear Warren, dear Jim. I'm of the age that I followed Heck Gervais. Oh, She must be 135. (laughs) (laughs) Nice way. That's awful. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) That I followed Heck Shervey and other superstars of that era, including Warren Hanson and Ron Anton, Garnet Campbell and his three brothers, uh, Ernie Richardson and his crew, Randy Furby, Kevin Martin, uh, at all. Uh, And I've continued to watch and follow them since. 
Uh, I didn't enjoy the game myself when I was at university, but I'm proud to admit that I absolutely am addicted to watching the game on television or live, which is even more exciting. Wanting to send my thanks and kudos to the three of you as your podcast is always so enjoyable. Lots of info, discussion mixed in with a bit of craziness, great guests, and addressing some of your emails. Your trio provides a lot of entertainment and informative factors to a game that has grown and changed to a huge degree over the past 50 years. You've definitely introduced another side uh, and a diverse view to this exciting sport. Thank you so much, Jim. All right. Uh, thanks, Deb. Uh, that's pretty. That's a, that's a pretty good email, uh, Kevin. What do you think? Very nice. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you very much, Deb, for saying that in. Absolutely. And no, you're not 135 years old. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Warren is. Uh, Warren, she's been listening to your takes, I guess, with 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 the, with the curling changing. Interesting that she says, because we often hear a lot of people going, the game is is better viewed on television than it is live. But she says the opposite. Way more exciting in person. I think if you've got the uh, the right atmosphere developed in the in the venue, I mean, I can go back to the briar that Kevin won in Calgary in 1997, the first time he went into, went into a big building. And the building was electric. And I still always remember the, the Saddle Dome manager saying to me following that their staff had indicated to them the only other event they ever saw in that building with the same kind of electricity was the Olympics in 1988. So it can be created. It can be developed. And I think uh, we've got to work again in making it far more electric. Are you listening to that, Nolan? All right. (laughs) Uh, Lovely. Thank you for that email. Here's another one from Vancouver Island. It's from Janice. The solution to the number of blank ends is easy. Really, Janice. (laughs) Blank the end, lose the hammer. Uh, Three-person teams? Hmm. If the team hasn't brought a fifth player, have a pool of spares that the team must draw from. I don't just what go up to go up to aisle three, Kev, in the lower bowl and grab someone. <laughs> <laughs> I kid, Janice. Uh, I'm a club curler. If I can figure that out, surely Curling Canada can. Come on, man, she says. Come on, <laughs> let's get this straightened out. Uh, we've talked about this a lot, Kevin. Uh, what to do about blankets. Oh, boy. Yeah, we have talked this <laughs> to, to the nth, that's for sure. Um, it'd be kind of fun, though, wouldn't it, if you're the part of the spare pool? So you're you're <laughs> you're an average club curler from Victoria or somewhere, and, and you throw your name into the pool, and all of a sudden, uh, Sebastiano pulls a back muscle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're, you're trying to sweep with, yeah. <laughs> with, with Mazoner and trying to keep up <laughs> Right. Can you imagine? Oh, it'd be hilarious. My God. But anyway, no, I don't know if the spare pool thing, uh, that was something that actually that did exist. Um, Warren would be able to help me with this one, but probably 30, 40 years ago, there was actually a spare pool thing and, and, and it kind of worked. Uh, but now the top players are, you know, if the top player is a a handicap, who's going to shoot in the mid sixties, the club curlers, a 20 handicap golfer, right. you know, it, you, the separation's so big that that'd be very difficult. Um, as far as the lose the hammer thing, the problem is, uh, Janice, is that if the team tends to blank a lot of ends like a botcher, but if he was going to lose the hammer, 
what would happen? The, the other team's not going to play along. They're going to be the defensive team because they're going to keep it wide open and forcing Botcher to draw for one. Right, right. So it kind of just goes the other way. Now, would there be blank ends? No, they'd be draw. There'd be a lot of draws for one or open hits for one. That's not really solving the issue, though. Um, the issue is making sure that there's a lot of rocks in play. But for the most part, you know, the last couple of grand slams, other than Botcher's team, there haven't been a pile of blank ends actually. Right. Um, which is a really good thing. It's just, uh, yeah, um, really right now, the owner, the team that owns the, the blank end, it used to be Rachel Holman, remember a few years ago? But she's scoring three and four enders like crazy right. with the addition of Tracy Fleury on the team. They're, they're, they're scoring like a ton of points right now because, of, I, in my opinion, because of Tracy. Um, but for the most part, curling's in a great shape with, uh, with excitement on the ice, in, in my opinion, yeah. right now, it's in a good spot. Warren, we had Mark Kennedy on. He said, "Too bad you don't like blank ends." <laughs> 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 yeah, that's tough. Tough for you because we sure like them. Warren, what do you say to all that? Well, I guess first of all, with the uh, the blank ends, yeah, I, I agree with Kevin. We've talked about this. Uh, we we've beat this one to death, and I, I guess you, whether you want a bunch of zeros or a bunch of ones, is probably going to be the result. So I'm not sure that's going to solve much. Regarding the, the fifth player situation, oh yes, as Kevin alluded to, there was a time. So we have to go way back and we have to look in the days of McDonald Tobacco for the first 50 years of the Briar, which ended in 1979. And at that point in time, if you lost a player after you had won a zone in your local region, you couldn't replace that player unless you took somebody from the club that you were playing out of who had not entered the competition even at the lowest level. So it was pretty impossible. If you lost a player anywhere along the line, you were playing with three. But what you could get in the Briar, this was, again, bizarre to some degree, if you lost a player in the Briar, you could bring in a sweeper from the area where the Briar was being played in. So that person could come out for you and, and sweep for X number of games. So it actually, I did that once back in the 70s. So it was a whole different situation. When McDonald's Tobacco left in 1980, in comes Labatt's. The inside the boards operation was for the first time put in the hands of then the Canadian Curling Association. So the question was, what are you, what, what are we going to do with this no substitution thing? So it, the rule still stood in the early 80s. And what happened at that point in time, as Kevin had alluded to, there was a pool created of, I think, six local players. And if you lost a player in the Briar, you could, in fact, draw a player from this pool uh, who could actually throw rocks or could sweep whatever you chose to have them do. And that all changed, I think, in 1984-85 when the fifth player was introduced that each team started to bring uh, another player with them. So in the case of losing someone, there was automatically someone there that had to or could step in. So that's been the evolution of that to some degree. Where we're heading, I think, uh, is going to be interesting. We're going to reach a point in time here as this sport grows and these top teams become probably more professional even than they are, the size of these teams are going to become bigger. But it doesn't happen today because of economics more than anything else, I do believe. Right. Well, the other one is, you know, the, uh, not too long ago, they went, oh, my God. Oh, so sorry, guys. So sorry that you lost a, a player and you got to go with three. Oh, man, you, you don't stand a chance, man. You don't stand a chance. And, <laughs> and we've seen what's happened. Yeah, and that's going to have to be addressed yeah, too. I'm not sure out. how that's going to be handled, but it, it's probably not a good thing when you can play with uh, three players and maybe be more effective than you were with four. Right. 
Uh, InsideCurling at gmail.com. If you want to drop us an email, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, there you go. That's Hot Rock Topics. All right, here's what we're hearing. Brad Guzzi made some interesting comments this week in an interview with Ted Wyman, who we had on the show last week or the week before. Brad said, quote, our game in general, and not just Canada, is in a need of a bit of a shakeup and an image change and a marketing campaign to get people excited about it. I think we've done a very poor job since I've been in curling marketing the game. We've always had this niche, folksy kind of marketing, and I think we can put a little bit more excitement into the game by marketing it to a younger audience. Well, don't beat around the bush, Brad. Just tell us what you think. Yeah, yeah don't don't be talking in riddles now, Brad, where we don't understand what you're saying. Um, love Brad, Kevin. Love Brad. The curling world, who's trying to run events, doesn't. But uh, God, he's got he's he always has something to say. Yeah, marketing to a younger audience makes a lot of sense to me too. Um, you know, you need your next group coming up to uh, to love our sport and then. Brad sees a fairly big picture, I think, of our, our sport and how it's changing and how it's growing worldwide and, and becoming so strong in so many different markets. And and uh, I think that's probably, you know, he, he's seeing that we need to maybe, didn't he put, uh, his statement was the, the sport needs a kick in the butt. Yeah, like that, that. that was the opening. <laughs> oh. Yeah, so, something you like that. You left that out, Warren, in the script. Yeah, <laughs> something like that. So, uh, you know, um, I guess that's what he's getting to is that uh, the game is growing so fast and we need to make sure that we involve not just the younger people, but that's important, but also the worldwide market to, to grow the sport where, where it needs to. Um, because right now, you know, we, we just went through the world rankings. It's, a, it's, it's across the globe. It's not just a couple of different countries. I think Brad makes some, uh, some good comments. I, I think it's, it's hard to put a finger on exactly what has to happen, but I think he alluded to it to some degree, folksy marketing, uh, niche. I think to some degree that's that's what we're facing when it comes to curling clubs and participation, but not only that, fans. And we've got to create some new buzz, some new excitement around the sport. We've got to shake things up a bit. And I think, as I mentioned earlier, the idea of expanding the stick curling side of the game, the triple side of the game, those are fun things and they can be made into really fun things. The arena's within the building. Everything's got to be made more contact. I mentioned about electricity in the building. It takes time and money to create that. And somebody's got to be prepared to spend the money to create the, the atmosphere in the building that you need. It doesn't just happen, and it isn't a cheap thing to do. And I think, again, these are all things that have to be considered. They've got to be looked at because it doesn't. we, we aren't putting 250,000 people over 10 days into a building anymore. Uh, we're not even close to that. And I think that's got to be a big concern from everybody involved in that end of things. And there's got to be a whole new way of approaching that aspect. If we're going to pull in people under the age of 40, you know, and again, I've mentioned this before. Let's give one simple example of the app and being able to have a fan walk in the building and listen to the RF mics and sheet A, B, C, or D at their pleasure. Just a little thing like that. The development of the app that can have all kinds of things that will intrigue the younger people to have something special that they can do in that building that they can't do if they're watching the thing at home on uh, on television. So I think he's got some points. There needs to be a whole new way of looking at the business, I believe, and uh, it's a challenge. So, so where did the crowd go, Warren? 
Like we always, you know, like like you had these buildings with fifteen thousand people. I remember that's those were the days I was doing the patch where it was seven thousand people in the beer garden and three thousand. Where where what happened? Where it's like they got old, Jim, and we needed to change how it was all being done and how everything's were being presented because we were dealing with a different age group, a different audience. And this is a struggle we have today. I mean, the the old guard, you can see it in the emails and response, we get it. They want everything to be the way it was 30 years ago. But the younger ones are looking at what was being done and saying, e, that doesn't interest me. So we got to find a hit the right note of what you got to do in these buildings to entice a younger audience. And among other things, they'll go back again. Everything's got to be tightened up. It's all, it's way too long. For the most part, and this again is a 10 end game and all these type of things, people got to be prepared to experiment a bit and do some different things. And and, and it, again, it isn't cheap. If you're going to market to a new audience, I mean, we've found it like with this podcast, uh, the work that Rod has done this last year with our social media is a huge component of, of making it all work. The same thing with, with all these curling events. We, you got to have a huge social media component attached to it that's active daily if you're going to pull in people under 40. So a lot of stuff has to be reconsidered, in my opinion. Kevin, what do you think from your end of it? Yeah, well, no question. Um, to have more of a presence, absolutely. Um, more events. I mean, we talked about the Lloyd Minster one and, uh, and how the tickets sold out so fast, and they're bringing in a very big junior aspect of it and a festival-type aspect to it. Great idea, right? And then and and with the help of teams like Botcher, they'll they will definitely have a really good social media presence, and uh, and you'll certainly engage a younger audience in in that particular event. That, that's now that's just one event, the Aztec Challenge. But there's there's so many events. If we can just go down that path um, again and again and again, that will certainly help, and not just in Canada but worldwide. There's three things that I keep emphasizing with attracting people under forty. Fun, quick, and engaging. That's the three things we, we have to concentrate on if we're going to pull in yeah. that group, in my opinion. Well, you know, ironically, Warren, when uh, uh, I had a bunch of friends when either the Trials or the Briar was in Edmonton who came down to the Beer Garden because Down Child's Blues Band was playing, you know, or or the Stampeders or, you know, Lover Boy when all these... Uh, all these bands that, uh, and it attracted a lot of people. And, and I always thought, well, so what do you do now to promote the game? Well, they're here, right? And, and there was, your, your point, Warren, is, well, there wasn't much to promote, right? It was just too, too long of a game, et cetera, et cetera. But that trials is a good example. There was a huge amount of money spent on that trials in 2009 with added attractions. I can remember just one thing. We had a huge Hall of Fame display there. Took up a whole room, but that wasn't an easy or cheap thing to do. And it was a huge pile of interest in that. Um, so you just got to c- come up with uh, the right note, I believe, as to what you think will, and then you got to be able to let people know. I mean, those successful briars back in that 15-year range, there was a lot of money spent on advertising and promotion. Uh, a guy like Rod Paulson was a key driver behind all of that. So again, it isn't easy or cheap thing to do. So it, it's... Uh, it has to be reassessed, in my opinion. Well, that's because every kid in the world, Warren, is sitting in a gaming chair, okay, making 50 grand if they're any good. Uh, did you guys get my Christmas gift? It was. Uh, it must be in the mail. <laughs> it was COD, so I don't know. If you... <laughs> uh, so there you go. Uh, by the way, Kev, you brought it up a couple times, the Lloyd Minster event. Uh, love it. Uh, good, good idea. Sounds like it's going to be a festive thing. I love the triple knockout because you, you get to see your team. 
a little more than once, you know, if you, and, and you got eight of the top men's there. Uh, you know who would la- love a triple knockout? The Canadian World Junior Hockey Team. <laughs> uh-huh. Too bad. Yes. Too bad that wasn't a triple yes. knockout. They would like a triple knockout. Oh, my knockout. God, they, yes, they yes, lose, yes. folks. They lost in the quarterfinals. Thanks again for another show. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And you heard Rod's name a couple times. He handles a bunch of our marketing, all of it, as a matter of fact. His company is called In-House Strategies. You need some media stuff, reach out, and we'll put you in touch with Rod. If you haven't joined our Facebook page, do it. There's lots on there. Uh, you want to send us an email, uh, we'd love to hear from you, insidecurling at gmail.com. Thanks a lot to Jackpot City, Coyote, and Goldline, who make all of Inside Curling possible. Happy New Year, fellas. Feliz Navidad. It's, uh, that's Spanish warrant for Merry Christmas, in case you didn't know. Oh, thank you, Jim. I could do the show in Spanish. As a matter of fact, sometimes I fumble the, my words so much, someone thought I was speaking Spanish. <laughs> well, I was going to say, maybe first let's try English. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you later, boys. Take it easy. Have a good week. We'll talk to everybody next week. You've been listening to Inside Curly. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks, Jimmy.